Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for being here with us. We hope you are having a wonderful new year. I had some time off, and it went by very quickly, uh, but I, I did get to have a good time. How about you, Dr. Woodward? How is your new year going so far? Just wonderful, fabulous. We're just having a brand time starting school again for me at Trinity College of Florida. And, of course, we've been full blast other than Christmas and New Year's week. We took some time off to enjoy that with family and friends. But it's great to be with you, Nick Shannon. Way to go in leading us on. Um, charge on, oh, leader of the IT team of C.S. Lewis Society. Absolutely, and of course it is not my biggest strength doing technology stuff, but I enjoy every minute of it, uh, and I'm excited to see what we're going to get into today. Yeah, well, I, I thought it would be fun since we're kind of like in the back-to-school mode. I consider this my exciting assortment, or back-to-school um, gallum opry. I'll use that word today. I've used it a couple times in foreign uh, broadcasts, um, and I think, yeah, I don't know if you've heard this word, but it has the idea of a medley kind of a beef stew, an assorted collection. Like in a beef stew, you have swimming in there and that kind of thick, you know, wonderful gravy-like soup. You have the chunks of beef and green beans and carrots and you know, minced um, you know, potatoes. It's yummy, yummy. And it's sort of collected together. It all works together. So yeah, you're, you're making you know, me hungry. It sounds a little yeah. bit like a smorgasbord. That's it. That's the idea. Well, we're going to have a, a Gallimaufry smorgasbord of back-to-school items, uh, uh, homework suggested, not mandatory, so this is a, an audit class, so if you're attending, uh, we're not charging you, that's uh, one nice thing about some audit classes, they just uh, waive the fee, and secondly, you don't have to do all the reading, but you get to do all the reading that you want to do, and so I'd like to uh, direct people to a great website, we mention this from time to time, it's our number one resource on the web, uh, of all websites, this is the, the premier as far as great information on evidence in science. And, of course, in our program, The Universe Next Door, not only tackles the big questions about life and God and meaning of the universe and meaning of us, what is humanity, we try to also uh, raise the issue of what is the evidence, you know, what are the reasons, what are the rock-solid foundations for faith? Is it just a, a leap in the darkness, or is it a step in the, in the glimmering light that is coming through from God to us? And we believe there's plenty, and, and not only plenty, but there's a growing tide of evidence. It's like a, a, a swamp, uh, being swamped with uh, an avalanche of evidence. And so I'm looking right now at the front page of evolutionnews.org. And since we uh, present the case for intelligent design frequently, I just thought I'd point out that there are, from this past few weeks, a countdown from number 10, number 9, it's like your favorite you know, music, whether it's Christian song or rock hit, they have these countdowns. Well, finally you get to the number one story, or the, in this case it's the stories of the year uh, on Evolution News. And so uh, I would recommend that as some of the best reading, just in general, 
it's like your newspaper. It's like um, a cross between a journal because it has the weight of a journal but the timeliness of a newspaper. And every day, even articles written by such luminaries as John West, who is the scholar-in-residence at Discovery Institute besides Steve Meyer, uh, Meyer himself, Jonathan Witt, um, you know, and I could go on and on, Jonathan Wells. We have articles written by the best of the best, and a lot of them are exciting. And the countdown that they went through in the latter half of December, although all of them are now posted, you can see the top three right there on the right at evolutionnews.org, your place on the web to go. But um, I want to just highlight, as we get in today, to, to linking the evidence from science the evidence from the observations of nature to the evidence of God's own self-revelation, not just through the things he's made, but through his spoken word that became his written word. Because in many cases, these prophets of the Old Testament, Micah, Amos, Isaiah, Jeremiah, etc., they spoke these messages, and then certain selected portions of them were written down. And even before that, Moses himself prophesied about the coming Messiah. How do we know that? Jesus refers to Moses as having written of him. Moses wrote of me, he said in John chapter 5. And so we see throughout the Old and then, of course, New Testament picks up the baton and just, you know, thrusts it up to an even higher level of clarity and intensity. This message, this prophetic word is exciting to study I'm actually teaching a lot of the uh, New Testament uh, at our college, Trinity College of Florida, here in Tampa Bay. Uh, by the way, if you're interested in checking out uh, anything uh, about our courses, all online courses are offered all the time. Uh, we're offering, coming up um, pretty soon, a course on intelligent design, and information of that on that is available at trinitycollege.edu. But uh, I just want to say that, you know, as we're celebrating the Bible side of this beef stew, the smorgasbord, the rich centerpiece, really, of the whole feast, I want to emphasize that there's some great, great Bible truths that have been recorded in song, that have been memorialized in great hymns, not only the ones penned by Charles Wesley and Isaac Watts, but even newer hymns, fantastic new hymns, penned by the likes of Keith and Kristen Getty. In, co in cooperation with Stuart Townend in England. And so I think in line with our seven weeks of featuring the Gettys music, it would be a perfect time for us to bring in a beautiful rendition. It's really Kristen Getty singing with a kind of a, an orchestra of instruments that sound like they were in Dublin or, you know, um, somewhere, maybe Cork, Ireland, or who knows, you know, maybe even Belfast, Northern Ireland. But um, the Gettys, of course, uh, Keith and Kristen, related to John Lennox because uh, Kristen Getty's uncle, uh, her dad's brother, is John Lennox, the great apologist based in Oxford, England. And we're going to be having John Lennox as one of our speakers in a webinar this spring. Details on that are forthcoming. Everybody in the sound of our podcast, our radio cast, Universe Next Door, can listen to that at no, no charge. It's free on the web. And we will give you the John Lennox uh, time and exact you know, spot on your schedule so that you can mark it down. But today, to start our gallum free and get it going juiced up, let's listen to this classic, In Christ Alone. Probably the most famous uh, hymn 
penned by Keith Getty, uh, sung by Chris and Getty, and co-authored by Stuart Townend. We thank God for them. Let's listen and enjoy them right now. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still, when striving cease. My comforter, my all and all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Every sin on him was laid Here in the death of Christ I live Of Christ. 
wow, I just love that hymn. What do you think? Uh, you know, Nick, I think it's a classic. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I would probably put it in the top five of my favorite hymns, not just now, but of all time. I mean, it's amazing, and the theology is just so sound and laid out so perfectly. I, I love it. And the centrality of Christ, the, the finished work of Christ on the cross, as having completely absorbed and satisfied the wrath of God. I mean, it just shocks me how powerful and how biblical that hymn is. And the fact that it has swept the world, that it's in many, many languages now. Can you imagine that song? I just almost roar with, with laughter and with joyous, you know, celebratory laughter to imagine that song being sung around the throne of the Lamb when we're gathered in his presence. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. So, and and we'll, we'll also just throw a little wink to Keith and Kristen Getty. By the way, Keith and Kristen Getty are going to be at our C.S. Lewis Society um, amazing virtual banquet coming up the evening of February 18th. We want to highlight that. If you're if you're not able to join us precisely at uh, seven o'clock, there's going to be a kind of a welcome at six forty-five at seven o'clock Eastern, which would be what four o'clock West Coast. Uh, we're going to actually go live with that link, and the uh, the banquet will last for about an hour and 40 minutes or so, uh, a little bit over an hour and a half. And we're going to have Sean McDowell, and we're going to have Steve Meyer give an update on his book, which will be on the edge of being released, uh, The Return of the God Hypothesis. Sean McDowell, of course, son of Josh McDowell, is a phenomenal speaker, and we're just privileged that he, when he heard of our banquet and asked him if he would consider it, he said, I would love to do that. So he'll be our keynote speaker. We'll have music, four numbers prepared just for us by Keith and Kristen Getty. And when they agreed to that, I said, wow, this is a God moment. But let's talk about God moments in the Bible. Are you up for that, Nick? Uh, I'm always up for that. <laughs> Great. Well, I mean, I'm holding in my hand the Ryrie Study Bible. Uh, some of you may have heard of Charles Ryrie. He was a great theologian, preacher, a Christian scholar, one of the pillars of Dallas uh, Theological Seminary, where I did my master's degree, graduated uh, in the late 70s. And I was privileged to have Dr. Ryrie as my professor. As a matter of fact, I grew up with his niece, Sarah Ryrie, who now lives in Indiana, uh, married to a Yale graduate, an attorney up there. But Sarah Ryrie and I were like in the same class for five years. Little did I realize that her uncle uh, would become uh, my you know, teacher, my, you know, the one who trained me in theology at Dallas Seminary. And his book, the Ryrie Study Bible, one of maybe 30 books that he wrote, I mean, this, this uh, you know, set of notes that are integrated into the Bible are just fabulous. So uh, you may be able to see it available, at least uh, used versions on the web at Amazon or wherever. But I just want to say that his comments, when we get into the Old Testament uh, on the prophecies, are just amazing. And so I want to just focus on a couple things that are really sticking out to me. And that is, and, and even the great Christian apologist Pascal, okay, Blaise Pascal uh, of, of Paris, France, in the late, uh, mid to late 1600s, um, his work, uh, as the notes that he wrote that were later gathered together and published in a book called The Pensée, or just uh, Pensée, uh, French word which means thoughts, one of the most important apologetics books ever written. Well, when, when Blaise Pascal, this French thinker, converted in middle age uh, as he encountered Christ through the scriptures, 
uh, he actually um, spoke very powerfully of the witness of the Old Testament in one particular main focal point, and that is what the Old Testament prophesied about the endurance and the ultimate vindication of God's covenant to the Jews or with the Jewish people. So the Abrahamic covenant, his commitment to the nation, that the 12 tribes, although you know scattered initially under Babylonian rule, and uh, some of them in the north under Assyrian takeover in 722 B.C., the, the Nebuchadnezzar's armies marched in and completely destroyed Jerusalem in 586 B.C. And, of course, Daniel and his uh, colleagues had already been gathered up as the elite, the aristocratic, uh, upper-class um, rising stars in Israel. They had been gathered from Judah and taken in, in captivity probably around 607, 606 B.C. But all these dates cluster around 600 B.C., and that was the first great scattering. And then they were regathered, of course, after 70 years of captivity, as predicted by Jeremiah. Again, another prediction come true. They were brought back together, at least many of them, not necessarily all of them, but many of them were allowed to return and to actually build in the new temple, and they did that. So by 510, the end of that uh, 6th century B.C., the temple was rebuilt. And they were there, of course, until the time of Jesus and a bit beyond, because in 70 A.D., Jerusalem was ultimately destroyed after a three-year struggle, a three-year uh, annihilation campaign under the general Titus and his uh, Roman armies, and then Jerusalem effectively was dead as the Jewish capital, although there was a strike-back attempt under Bar Kokhba in 130, but that fizzled. But these two uh, phases of, of the attack of enemies, carrying them captive, taking them away, and then coming back, and then finally in 70 AD, being scattered to the whole world. And then now, just recently, beginning to come back since 1948, as Israel was formed. That whole pattern is prophesied in the Old Testament. Yes, it's as early as the uh, Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, it's not in Genesis, but if you go to Deuteronomy chapters 27 through chapter 30, you see a teaching of Moses, his farewell speech, is teaching Israel something before they go into the promised land. And he's saying that you need to be careful to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. You need to serve and honor him. You need to keep his statutes, his ordinances, his moral guidelines. You need to not flaunt you know, your privilege and say, oh, I'm so wonderful. He said, God chose you out of his grace, not because you were great, but because you were small. He wanted to display his grace, his undeserved favor. And, of course, in the New Testament, we, we learn that's how anybody is saved. No one is rescued by good works. Our good works are like filthy rags, Isaiah 64, verse 6. But, but again, back to Deuteronomy, uh, Moses warned them that if they veered away, it's a section called the curses and blessings, you can find it in chapters 27 and 28 of Deuteronomy. And in the curses and blessings, Deuteronomy 27 28, Moses warns the Israelites that if they veer away, if they as a nation turn away from him, not that there is never a you know, remnant, there's always a remnant. There's always a few who remain true to God. But if the bulk, if the main um, portion of the Israelites veer away from God, 
and do their own thing and carve out their own path away from him and serve gods made of wood and stone and basically live horrible, uh, unbiblical lives, God says, I have no choice. I will have to scatter you as far away as you can imagine to the whole world, to all the nations. Well, that's what happened after 70 AD in a big and massive way. That was the second and final scattering. And then, of course, there were always some Jews living in the Promised Land in the area of Palestine, and then they were gathered and reinstigated as a nation. Not so much a Messianic belief, although there were a few Messianic believers accepting Jesus as their Jewish Messiah. But the main um, cohort came back in unbelief, but God is preparing, I would say, for the fulfillment we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30. So just to uh, kind of cap off this the first of several weeks where we're going to feature Old Testament prophecies and how they fit in with the flow. It's pretty exciting to consider the, the snapping in of those puzzle pieces. Like if I'm doing a jigsaw puzzle and two pieces just don't quite fit. You know, this bulge doesn't quite fit that indentation. And I kind of wiggle it around, ah, it doesn't fit. But when you see not only the, the actual, you know, artistic pattern match, Oh, I see a blue here, and the blue goes right over there, and that, that the bulge perfectly fits in the indentation. Snap it in place, you say, aha, I got the right puzzle piece. Well, we see the puzzle pieces laid out for us throughout Deuteronomy 27 through 30, but 30 itself is a masterpiece of predictive power. So I'm going to read it and just uh, summarize real quickly what's going on. Moses says, so it shall be when all of these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord your God has banished you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul according to all that I command you today, you and your son, then, verse 3, notice, then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and you will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love, and I love this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. And I think that those six verses, um, I just stopped at verse six, and those opening six verses of Deuteronomy chapter 30 are beyond awesome and amazing and spectacular. They are confirmatory. They are truth that is crashing in on us. But it's not, you know, it's, it's, it's a blessing to, to be swamped with this truth. And this is just the t tiny, tiny tip of a vast prophetic iceberg, a vast mountain, a Mount Everest of, ice, of, of beautiful prophecies that we can detail over the next several weeks. And I'd like to do that as part of our Gallup offering. I'm going to be keeping an eye on the science as well and sharing uh, how we know from science and from Scripture and from our own personal experience, that Christ is who he claimed to be, and that we have eternal life in him as a free gift. 
offered through the, the shed blood, the substitution of Christ on the cross for your sins and mine, and that he's alive, and that we can embrace him and bow to him and follow him as our Lord and our Redeemer and King. So back to you, Nick. Thank you for leading the IT side of this program. Amen. And if you have put your faith in Christ, please let us know at information at apologetics.org. Send us an email. We would love to know what you do with this information. Uh, And we hope to see you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.